So this confession won't come as a surprise to many of you, but I love food. Um, really love food. I, I love growing food. Uh, I'm not very good at that, though. Um, but I really do love the idea of sort of growing my own food. We have some fruit trees there going all right. Um, I have a veggie garden uh, in the back, but it looks a lot more like Afghanistan than a veggie garden. It, uh, but anyway, I, I, I love the idea of growing food. Um, I love the idea of cooking food. And I'm better at that than I am at growing food. I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at that, and um, I like to cook kind of whenever I can. Um, I really love the idea of eating food, um, and, and I'm, at, I'm really good at that. Uh, I might be pretty good at cooking food. I'm really good at eating food. In fact, probably too good at eating food. Uh, my family will tell you that that is, you know, an area of growth for me, shall we say. Um, uh, but... I, I just love food. You know, there, there are two kinds of people when it comes to food, aren't there? There are people who eat because they have to, and there are people who eat because they want to. Um, I'm definitely in the want to basket, right? You know, there are people who, who, who go to a restaurant and they look for something they know. You know, I like this. And, they, you know, I'm the kind of person who goes to a restaurant and looks for something I've never eaten before. That looks weird. That looks different. Let's try that. Let's, let's see what that's, that's like. But of course, the reality is, the kind of sad reality is that not everyone in the world gets a choice when it comes to food. And as crazy as it is to say, in our 21st century Western world, with all of the technology and all everything around us, um, the reality is that hunger and famine are still very, very real in our world today. Um, in fact, I was looking up during the week for the latest numbers and World Vision uh, tell us that uh, today, like right as we sit here this morning, 821 million people across the world don't have enough food to survive on. It's just, I can't even get my head around that number. There's 26 and a half or so million people in the whole of Australia, right? And there's 821 million people across the planet that don't have enough food to live on. But I want to suggest to you this morning um, that that's not the worst news. That there's another kind of famine happening in our world, um, a kind of famine that's happening right here in our country that's even worse. I mean, did you know that it's possible to have all the food you could want, all the water that you want, and still be starving and still be dying of thirst? There's a kind of famine that has nothing to do with food, and it's a kind of famine that's happening right here in our country. Thousands and thousands of people are starving, and they don't even know it. Like most of you, uh, or many of you in this church, um, I read the Bible and journal regularly. It's a daily thing for me. Um, and like lots of you, I use a reading plan for that. You know, uh, one of these online plans that sort of tracks me through uh, you know, through um, a book or a Bible. And in my case, I use a reading plan that takes me through the whole Bible in a year. Um, and that's kind of cool because it means that I get to, over the course of a year, I get to read everything in the Bible. Um, I get to read all of those parts of the Bible that you never usually read, all of those books that you can't find and all of those obscure little things. At least once in a year, um, I get to read those and I get to meditate on those things and think about those things. And that's how I bumped into a guy named Amos. Now, you might never have heard of Amos. Um, there's a book by his name in the Old Testament. It's a tiny little book. 
um, uh, sort of hidden in the Old Testament um, that many of us have probably never read. So um, let me give you a bit of an introduction to Amos. Um, Amos lived about 750 to 700 years before Jesus, before the life of Jesus. He lived in a small town, a little country, a village basically, um, about 10 to 15 kilometres out of the heart of Jerusalem, a little town called Tekoa um, that you've never heard of. Um, I don't even know if it exists anymore, but a, a tiny little town that was, that was a dot on the map. That was it. Um, and he lived a really ordinary life. He was a farmer. Um, it was nothing fancy about Amos. He didn't come from a wealthy family. He didn't come from privileged stock. There was nothing about his upbringing that made Amos noteworthy uh, in any way. But as a young man, God appeared to Amos. Uh, we're not really sure how that happened. It's, it's a bit vague in his letter about exactly how it happened. But somehow in his life, God appeared to Amos and uh, said, I'm choosing you to speak on my behalf to the nation. Um, the, the word that the Bible uses to describe people like that is a prophet. We kind of use that word a little bit today. But um, God said, I'm choosing you to speak my words uh, to the nation. And that's how Amos came to write on God's behalf. And that's how we came to get the writings that are in our Bible under the name of Amos. Now, Amos lived in a time... Uh, when uh, Israel, the, the kind of nation in which he lived, when the nation of Israel was doing really well. It was profitable, uh, business was good, it was safe and secure. It was a real strength in terms of the nations around it. Um, uh, it was a, a, a peaceful nation because of that. You know, they were, they were kind of bigger and stronger than the nations around them, so they, they lived... Uh, at peace, as, least, uh, as much peace as anyone did uh, at that time. But in spite of that, or maybe even because of that, faith was starting to take a back seat in the nation of Israel in the time that Amos lived. People were still religious. They still said they believed in God. They still um, sort of went through some of the, uh, um, I guess you'd call it sort of the, um, the religious things that they did. They, they were ticking all of those boxes. Um, but there was a sense that faith was becoming a bit hollow and a bit empty in Amos's time. People were just, you know, they were doing the things, but it wasn't really in their heart. They weren't really living it out. They're starting to worship other gods too. Um, they, they worshipped their gods, but as they were a big profitable nation and they had all kinds of other nations trading with them and, and you know, connecting with them, they were starting to take, well, a little bit of that god over there and mix it in with their religion and a little bit of this. And, and they were sort of, they were kind of making their own religions, really. And, uh, and that seems good to me, so I'll do a little bit of that. And, and, and this seems good to me, so I'll, I'll take a little bit of that too. And as their beliefs changed their lifestyle was changing too. Where once uh, they were following the ways of God and, and they, were, they were really um, uh, really passionate about and really committed to caring for their poor and to caring for their lost, as their beliefs changed, they started to care less and less for the poor amongst them, less and less uh, for the lonely and the lost around them. Um, some people were getting richer, but also the poor amongst them were getting poorer. 
as certain people did better, parts of their community were doing worse and worse. Does this sort of picture of society remind you of anyone? Does this sound like, you know, any world in which you live today? And, and into this picture, God gives Amos a message. God gives Amos words and says, go and speak these words to the people. Speak them on my behalf. Speak them Speak my words to the people around you. And when you read the book of Amos, which isn't very long, it's, you, know, you can read it in a sitting, it's sort of broken up into two halves. In the first half of the book, God speaks through Amos about the state of the world as it is now. He speaks about the way things are, the way he sees things. And it's not good. Uh, it's not good, I tell you. It's not a, not a particularly sort of uplifting kind of you know, encouraging sort of read. And then in the second half of the book, um, God speaks through Amos about the way things are going to be. And the second half of the book is God saying, you know, because of the way you're living now, this is where you're headed. Because of the way you're living now, this is what I'm going to do. Because of the way you're living now, this is the way things are going to turn out for you. And it's in that half of the book that I read a little line, just a couple of lines that really just... Blew my mind. I want to read them to you today. If you're taking notes, this is Amos chapter 8, verse 11. And God, this is God speaking, so it's in the words of God, but spoken through Amos. And Amos says this, I will bring a famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, maybe you knew this already. Um, maybe it's just me, but a lack of food and water is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. It's not the worst thing that can happen to a community. There's another kind of famine that's even worse, and God describes it here as a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. When people stop living God's way, when people start living their own way, they become disconnected from God in a way that they cease to hear the words of God spoken into their lives. In a way that they, they lose the ability to hear God speaking into their lives and God speaking into the community around them. And that creates in people a kind of hunger. It creates in people a kind of starvation. Because we're all created by God and for God. We're created to know God and to hear him and to live with him. When we read the first couple of chapters of the Bible, which we talk about a lot in this church, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, literally the first two chapters of the Bible, they give us this perfect picture of the way the world is to be. And if you read those chapters... There's all these little phrases, all these little words in here that point to this beautiful connection that people have with God. It says that they talked with God, that they walked with God, that there was this sort of daily connection where people listened to and heard God speaking and lived in connection and in community with God. It's a way of saying this is how we were created to live. This is how we're supposed to be as humans, as people. And when that's taken from us, it creates in us a kind of hunger. It creates a kind of gap. It creates something that just can't be filled with anything else. 
And we try and fill that hunger. We try and, uh, and sort of satiate that desire with all sorts of things. We, we, we try and fill that hunger with careers and, and, and with family. We try and fill that hunger with hobbies and pastimes and, and parties and holidays. We try and fill that hunger with stuff and experiences. And it all might work for a little, and we all know this, right? It all works for a little bit, but then we're hungry again, you know? None of those things ever fully satisfy this hunger, this, this sort of gap that exists within us. It's a reminder that we can have all the food and all the water, and I guess, you know, you could add other things in there. We can have all these things and still be starving. And as kind of depressing as it might seem to say, as it might seem to say, I want to suggest to you that we are living in a time where there is a famine in hearing the word of the Lord. I want to suggest that people all around us are starving and they don't even know it. They're dying of thirst and they have no idea. And you might say, well, that's A, a bit depressing, and B, so what? And, you know, what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to do something with that? Um, you know, what is that supposed to mean to me? And the answer is everything. The answer is everything. Because I'm sitting and I'm sort of meditating on these words and I'm thinking about these words, and because these are written thousands of years ago. And as I'm doing that, I get words kind of coming into my mind. I, I, get these, I get these words sort of spoken into my mind. And I want to share some of these with you. Um, who's got a Bible this morning and is game enough to read it out loud? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Um, can you look up John 6.35 for us, please? Can you look up John 4.14? And at the back, can you look up uh, 1 Corinthians 12.27? Don't read them yet. Just get your finger in them. Okay, John 6.35, John 4.14, and 1 Corinthians 12.27. All right? So as I said, I'm, I'm meditating on these words. I'm reading these words. I'm thinking, well, what does this mean for us? You know, here's Amos speaking into another country, into another culture, into another time. But how does God, you know, what, what, what is God doing with those words in our time? And as I'm thinking about that, uh, I get these words John 6.35, come into my mind. Read them out nice and loud. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then I get John 4.14. Uh, read that one. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will come, become like a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. There's a solution to the famine that our community is facing. And the solution is a person. The solution is is Jesus. Jesus says, are you hungry? Are you really hungry? A deep down kind of hunger, come to me. Jesus says, are you thirsty? 
a deep kind of thirsty, not the kind of thirst that you can, you know, that you can put out with a glass of water. Is there a deep thirst in you? Come to me. And I want to suggest to you that when Jesus is making that offer, he's not just talking to the circle of people who are sitting around him at the time. That's an offer that Jesus is making across all time to all people. But of course you might say, well, but Jesus isn't here today. So how's he making that offer today? And that's when I get this verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Read that one. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Followers of Jesus are the body of Christ in the world today. Followers of Jesus are the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus in our world today. It's Jesus' way of saying, it's Paul's way who wrote those words of reminding us that Jesus is still making that offer. He's still speaking those words into our world today, but his intention is that he speaks those words through us, through his followers, through his church. We are the ones now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I am. We are the ones who have the bread of life to feed a hungry nation. We are the ones who have the living water to quench the thirst of people who are dying of spiritual thirst. Jesus living in us. That's what it means to be Christian. So quick quiz. Um, we're meeting today in the postcode of 5159. If you're online and watching us, we are meeting in 5159 uh, in Adelaide, Australia. So quick quiz. How many people live, according to the government, the official census that is done once every three or four years, how many people live in the postcode of 5159? Shout out an answer. How many people? There's a prize. 18,000. 18,000, higher than 18,000. 50,000 lower than 50,000. This is like a game show. I love this. 32,000. 32, Look, I'm gonna, it is, you can have uh, a winning chocolate for that. It is, listen, listen. Uh, at the last census, 32,000. Did you know that answer? Uh, 32,000. I thought, you know, you might work for the ABS or something. Uh, the last census, 32,000. 934 people uh, live in the postcode. That's just in 5159. It's huge. It's huge. But, you know, when they, ask, when they do the census, they ask people a whole bunch of other questions. And one of the questions they ask people is, do you have a religious affiliation, is the word they use. Are you connected to a religious community or church somewhere? Now, before I'm going to ask you how many people do you think how many people do you think say they have no religious affiliation? Now, before you shout out a number, I want to tell you, when they do this, it's common knowledge that people hugely overestimate their religious connection, right? In other words, when they do this, there's a whole lot of people who, and I'm not, I don't say this with any sense of judgment, but people who, who themselves would say, I never go to church, I would barely know where my church is, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't read the Bible, I don't do any of that stuff. But I'm a Catholic, right? Or but, I, or, or but I'm Anglican. 
Or do I go to the Uniting Church? So, when, so for a person to say they've got no religious affiliation, for them to tick the no religion box, um, it's, counting, it's, it's, it's excluding all those people who say, oh, well, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I got my kids... I got my kids baptised in such and such a church or every Christmas we go along, right? So with that in mind, how many of those 32,934 people do you think said at the last census they have no religious affiliation? Give us a number. 6,000 is way too low. Uh, You're a bit pessimistic. Uh, It's... (laughs) That's way too high. It's not 30,000. There's only 32,934. It's higher than 6,000. 15,000. It's lower than 15,000. 12.657. It's higher than that. Between 12.657 and 15. 14.1. Uh, it's a bit lower than that, and you've already won a prize anyway. 13 8. 13 a bit lower than 13 8. 13 2 is close enough. Yeah. You win the prize. 13,157. Listen, which, if you're not so good on the maths, that's 40%. 40% of people living in 5159 would say they have. No religious connection, no religious affiliation whatsoever. Right? That's people who are saying, oh, not even I go on Christmas, not even I get my kids baptised somewhere. No religious connection whatsoever. And friends, if you're sitting here in this church today, I want to tell you, we have the bread and the water that can save those people from the starvation that they are facing. Not us, but Jesus in us. That's the purpose of the church. And I tell you, I want to be part of a church that wants to get engaged with that kind of spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst in our community. I want to be part of a church that feeds the spiritually hungry and that quenches the thirst of the spiritually thirsty. And if you're like me, if when I say that you think so do I, here's the good news. We can do that. We already have all we need because all we need, and this sounds cliche when you say it like this, but all we need is Jesus and the good news of Jesus. We don't need to wait for anything else. We don't need more money. We don't need more resources. We don't need a bigger building. Uh, We don't need more of anything. We already have Jesus by his Holy Spirit in us. And that's all we need to be a part of feeding the spiritually hungry that live. Thousands of them, thousands and thousands of people all around us. We don't need to wait for anyone or anything. We don't need to wait for the church to do something. We can do it. This is simply about telling people about the good news of Jesus. This is simply about sharing with our friends, our neighbours, our co-workers, the people we play sport with, the people we see on the weekends, 
about sharing with them the good news and the love of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about being pushy. I'm not talking about standing on street corners and waving Bibles. Uh, I'm not talking about being rude or offensive in any way. I'm talking about graciously sharing the wonder of a life lived with Jesus. I'm not talking about the sort of, you know, um, uh, telling people how bad they are and how they sin and how they messed up and what they shouldn't do. That just spreads hate and division and that's not the way of Jesus. I'm talking about sharing with people the reality that they're not alone. I'm talking about sharing with people the good news that they're not forgotten. That there is a God and he knows them and he loves them and he wants relationship with them exactly where they are, exactly how they are. I'm talking about sharing the good news that there is a God that offers us a life of peace and joy and hope and purpose. I'm talking about living a life that is so full of love for others. I'm talking about living a life that is, that is so consumed by giving ourselves away to others that other people couldn't help but stop and say to you, why do you live like that? Why do, why do you give so much of your time and your money and your effort and your energy and resources to other people? Why would you do that? Because that's the way of Jesus. And our dream and our plan at Tide Church is that we become, that we live as that kind of church. And I want to unveil today the plan that we have for being that kind of church. Do you want to hear this? We have a plan. We have a really clear plan to be that kind of church, to reach our community Uh, to reach our starving community with the good news of Jesus. Here's the plan. Are you ready? You can write this down. The plan is you. I'm serious. I'm not joking. You are the plan. We're not planning on employing staff or paying some people to go and do it so that the rest of us can sit here and go, well done, that's awesome. I'm right behind you. Don't wait for somebody else to do something. We're not planning on starting programs, uh, you know, so that you could just sort of sit around and wait and sign up for something when it comes along. Don't, don't wait for something to start. Our plan at this church is to help you grow and to build your faith and to teach you about who Jesus is and what he wants from your life so that you can go and be the church in the world around you. So that you can go and be the church in your school. So that you can go and be the church in your community. So that you can go and be the church in your village. So that you can go and be the church in your workplace. That's our plan. Because this is how the first church lived. This is how the first church grew. This is how Christianity went from being something that was a handful of poor nobodies in a rural country town. Uh, This is how the first church grew to being a movement that literally overtook the Roman Empire. And we want to get back 
to that kind of simple, authentic way of living in the world around us, that simple, authentic way of sharing the good news of Jesus with a world that desperately needs to hear it. And I want to tell you, we often talk about this, our little leadership team. We dream of the day when our gatherings, our weekend gatherings, start with people coming in and everybody is buzzing, sharing about what God's been doing in the world through them that week. That's our dream. Not that we come in, sit down and wait for me to tell you something. Our dream, our hope is that, is that there will come a time when people will come and say, you wouldn't believe, you know, I've been praying for this thing at school. You wouldn't believe what happened this week. That someone would come and say, I've been, I've been loving, you know, we've been, we've been generously serving a neighbour with food or whatever. And, you know, I, I want to tell you what God did in them this week. The people would come in and say, you wouldn't believe what happened in my workplace this week. So I want to say, whether you are seven or 70, our hope, and, and if I can be as bold as to say, our expectation is that if you follow Jesus, if you're sitting here and you say you follow Jesus, that you will follow Jesus out of this place, out of this gathering, and into the world. As I say just about every week that we're here, followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And our hope, our expectation, is that you will share the life-giving bread and water that Jesus says he is with the world around you that so desperately needs to hear that. Church was never meant to be an event or a place that you come to on the weekend. It was never meant to be an experience that is cool and that builds you up to go do whatever you want to do. The church that Jesus started was a movement. It was a, a community of people who were following him, who were committed to following the way that he lived, to following the way that he told his followers to live. And then to share that good news with the world around them, wherever they were, wherever they happened to be found. That's what it means to be a part of the church. That's what it's always meant to be a part of the church. And I guess I'm saying that's what I'm inviting you to be a part of today. That's what we're inviting you to be a part of a tide. So the closure of this message is simply to say, will you join me? Will you join me on a mission to feed the hungry? Will you join me on a mission to share the good news of Jesus with hungry and thirsty people in your world? Not my world, in your world. Will you join me and share the good news of Jesus with people who so desperately need to hear it? Because that's what church, that's what a life with God is all about.